Hey guys, welcome back to the National Restaurant Owners Podcast, and this is a super special episode um, I have with Elizabeth Tilton from Oyster Sunday. Um, we actually, quote unquote, met on a Zoom call, believe it or not, um, and I took a look at her website uh, while I was just kind of spacing out, just being honest, spacing out on a Zoom call, and I was blown away at the amount of free resources she has on her site for restaurant operators. Uh, Elizabeth is a former pastry chef and the former public relations and marketing manager for the Momofuku Group uh, here in New York. Uh, in addition, she is a member of the Board of Advisors for the Women in Hospitality United Organization. And like I mentioned, she's the founder and CEO of Oyster Sunday. So have a listen absolutely make sure you head over to the site Oyster Sunday if you're a restaurant owner and you're looking for some way to organize yourself in this time of crisis and you want to just um you know this is a roadmap head over to Oyster Sunday right now do it now while you're listening to this podcast and you'll see what I'm talking about it is insanely well thought out it is extremely detailed and if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to myself. And of course, um, Elizabeth, she gives her uh, contact information at the end of the podcast. And um, that's it, guys. Thanks for checking out the show. Uh, stay safe. I hope you guys are all planning on reopening and planning on your next move and staying positive and staying healthy. Thanks again, guys. Take care and enjoy. Hey guys, my name is Kyle and Sarah, and I'm what most people describe as a restaurant guy. I have one purpose in this podcast and on all my social media platforms, and that is to do my part by sharing my experience and what I've learned in helping to reduce the failure rate of restaurants in this country. Look, I didn't do everything perfect. I don't have all the answers, but what I can share with you is my experience, what I did right, what I did wrong, and what I would do exactly the same. I'm also going to have guests on who are going to tell their story and help share some of their insight so that you restaurant owners and operators can learn from other people in the country, realize that you're not alone. A lot of these issues we all have had, we've all experienced, and collectively we can do our part to help make sure that restaurants continue to thrive in our communities and continue to be sources of uh, employment, places of gathering, and whatever comes in the future, we're all going to do it together. So this is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. Thanks for listening. Well, again, I'm, I'm really glad that you joined because when we got brought onto that hospitality squares thing, I, um, I took a look at your site while I was on there. Everybody was talking. I was distracted for a little bit. And it is, there's just so much information on there. It is such a tremendous resource for restaurants. So I'm glad that you took the time here to talk and, and share your expertise with us. Um, so maybe just start by introducing yourself and what Oyster Sunday is all about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so hi, I'm Elizabeth <laughs> and Oyster. Um, Oyster Sunday, it stands for operating system. And what we are are that we are basically when we're looking at, actually, I guess I should probably take a step back. Hold on. Sorry, I messed up. Oh, go on. Uh, yeah, no. Um, 
So Oyster Sunday, it stands for operating system. And what we are is we're a corporate office for independent restaurants. And in that basically would, I actually wrote down the business plan back in 2012 and was recognizing the fact that you're looking at these major restaurant groups, such as the Momofukus of the world where I was working at the time and the Danny Myers Union Square Hospitality Group. And you have all these pooled resources that get pulled up into a corporate yeah. office that provides a console, um, and also being able to buy, employ different kind of heads of these departments. But no independent has, has access to that just because of scale and um, cash flow. There's no reason why an operator, an operating system can't exist outside of a restaurant group. Right. So that's what we are. Okay. Um, so we are a corporate office and that provides everything from finance, accounting, all the way through branding, operations, human resources, and so on. So your ideal customer is actually the one-off restaurant or one to three units. How do you define your, your customer? Um, I always say it's restaurants from point of view. Right. Um, and in terms of, that means that food is their, is really kind of the way in which they communicate to the world of what, mm -hmm. what they want to put out. And, and I think having a point of view is very important, but for us, the real sweet spot are, you know, independent operators in the sense that it could be just one brick and mortar, or mm -hmm. it could be a small group up to like five or seven. Mm -hmm. And an ideal circumstance is that someone who has five to seven maybe has one was built in 08, one was built in 2012, one was built in 2019. Right. And potentially none of their technology is necessarily synced up or they're looking to kind of consolidate those resources mm -hmm. that will allow us to step in to become an operating system. So that's really where, where I think our sweet spots are. That's unbelievable because that's such an important part to scale your business and to not have that kind of stuff or access to that kind of stuff. I mean, a lot of these guys don't even know where to start. I mean, like literally back of the napkin idea, they know how to cook. They know what they want to do. They somehow got the three units. Now it's a whole new world. I and mean, forget about the COVID stuff, which we'll obviously get into, but um, to be able to have access to those resources is a tremendous advantage for that operator, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and really kind of when it comes to independent operators, you know, they become the CMO, head of HR all overnight yeah. <laughs> and, and not necessarily that they don't understand it. It's time to do all that. Yeah. You know, it's really, it's so difficult to do that. So it's just, it's a matter of really thinking through how, how to make that more efficient. Yeah. I mean, so being that you provide that stuff, are you kind of in the triage work now? Like where, where are you at right now with the Oyster Sunday and your clients and people possibly coming at you for some sort of triage help? What, what does your business look like right now? Yeah. Um, so I actually was up in, I'm, I'm based in New Orleans, um, right. but my team is remote and national. And but when I, on between March 9th and the 11th, I was actually in New York city and um, quickly realized that like this was getting real. And by that Friday, we had kind of sat down as a team and sat there and decided that we were going to pivot and the key word of the time period. Such a um, key word. I know such a key word. And that a new normal. That and new normal, exactly, exactly. Um, that we were going to kind of go back and pretty much provide all of our services in kind. Um, and we made a decision as a group. And so that we put that out by Monday, we had put out a statement that we're doing free consultations. Um, we had gotten legal counsel, CFOs, all came to us and sat there and said, they're also willing to provide their services in kind um, as part of our kind of larger network. Yeah. And then we started putting out these resources that you were alluding to earlier and that we'll talk about the critical path. But, yeah. you know, we quickly decided that information and knowledge is power. And the only way we, we knew, and we, we heard all these things kind of circulating between who was closing, who was doing delivery, these kind of, as we, again, that word pivot, right. what people were doing, but it wasn't informing 
operators how to move forward and make to, and make informed decisions yeah. that would critically impact. And in the first like 72 hours, your decisions makings pretty much dictated your success and yeah. building this. And I just think we knew that that was going to be powerful. And, you know, in, in saying that too, I mean, you were coming to a city where it was essentially, you know, the, the, the epicenter of what was going on here. Was it drastically different than what you were seeing in New Orleans? Or, I mean, you were probably hearing about it, like, okay, I got to check it out. But like you said, when you got there, it was that much. I mean, is it that different? It was that much of an oh, eye-opening yeah. experience for you? Yeah, yeah, right. Oh my gosh. We're in New Orleans, we were just coming off Mardi Gras. We were, we were high spirits. Shaking it off. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, we, we had a certain amount of like, guilt and you know ash wednesday and all that jazz after mardi gras but and and in general i mean it took getting to new york and i remember in the first day i was about about 24 hours out of flying up there i was supposed to be staying in brooklyn i just rebooked my my hotel into manhattan because i realized i didn't want to be taking the subway and then every even going into meetings like landing you know talking to potential clients and not being able to shake their hand or you know and it just it was very bizarre yeah Um, i mean it's you know, just to go back to what you said previously, I mean, I, I work in commercial real estate with restaurants and that's sort of what we said. We said, okay, look, we're not gonna be able to transact here or do anything with these guys. They're, you know, all new deals were put on hold. How can we advise them in this situation with their lease, you know, plug in our, our services here? Like, hey, you know, typically the broker will leave after the transaction. Hey, you know, maybe we'll check in every once in a while, see how your deal is going or what, um, how your business is going rather, but like what's gonna happen with the next space? You know, are we still on track for 2022, that kind of stuff. But you need a broker in like a triage situation now to say, okay, here's where your lease is at. This is what your rights are. Have you considered X, Y, and Z? So yeah, but not being able to meet them and talk to them in this time is, has been, you know, a challenge for them. They're trying to take care of their business and feed their families and um, to get in front of them, not in the traditional way on a zoom call or, or what, whatever the case may be has, has not been easy. So kudos to you for coming up to New York Definitely. and heading into the battleground here. Um, I know so, unexpectedly, I think. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess you never really thought, right? Like you never thought that this was going to ever be used. Your tool was more prior to COVID, like a lot of businesses were like, we're going to help these guys. We're going to help them manage their business, manage their cash flow, get their marketing in order and all that stuff. But now you've, you had to pivot into a position where like now we're like, you know, Navy SEALs coming in and trying to save this stuff, right? So how, with this critical path that you had mentioned, which is incredible and anybody should head to the website immediately, even now while you're listening to this and take a peek at it, how... What's the idea behind it and how should the average restaurant operator use it? Yeah, so we, in terms of like when, with the resource that we started putting out, we were pretty quickly realizing that, and this is probably end of, end of March, we started immediately turning our attention to reopening because we didn't know, there was so much uncertainty. I mean, we, we only knew that we were shut down, but in terms of where, where we're coming from, we're looking 30,000 feet up and looking at the entire ecosystem of, mm-hmm. and we're talking to operators and mm-hmm. around the United States and the questions we were receiving were, the decisions you're making about how to shut down now and whether or not to pivot to delivery was indicative of like how and which reopening would look like in a couple of weeks or months, regardless of what time that was. Mm-hmm. And we were starting to look at, if, we, if you could distill down a restaurant to three, it becomes three things, is operations, product, and design. And the operations aspect was something that we knew we could tackle even, even if product and design were shifting, right? We didn't right. know what we're putting out. We didn't know what it was going to look like physically, but we knew that operations infrastructure was going to be consistent. Um, and, and so I think that we immediately turned our attention to reopening because we're looking at the critical path in the same way in which you would build one out to open a restaurant, like everything from dealing with contractors and getting your right um, 
permits up and all that stuff. It's, yeah. it's really kind of, we took it the same mentality of being like, what are task oriented decision makings you have to make now? Yes. And so we turned to the critical path as, as on every department is saying, what task can you operate and do right now to make that right. possible? I mean, that's, that's great to distill it down to that because, you know, it's so easy. I mean, speaking from the restaurant owner's perspective, I mean, I was fortunate enough to, our restaurant was built for takeout. So it was pretty, pretty simple, but not everybody was. So to distill it down into those chunks, I mean, I'm sure I, I could, even with us being able to pivot relatively quickly and easily, um, I would have benefited from that because, you know, it just, you can, your world is seemingly crashing in. And if you can just take those pieces that are just, okay, what's most important, What's next? How are we going to get this food out? Do we have the containers? That kind of stuff and the staffing. Uh, it's, it's just, it becomes a lot and you've got a lot of other things on your mind. So that um, is a great place to start. So um, given that, that model, where do you, before you even head to the website really and start tackling that, what do you have to identify straight off the bat? Like, what do you suggest they look at immediately? Yeah, I mean, I think kind of goes back to what you did in your first 72 hours. Once mm -hmm. you knew you had to either shut down or go to delivery, it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's identifying immediately cash on hand. You know, what, 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 how much cash you have? Have you received the PPPL? Have you gotten the EIDL alone yeah. from the SBA? And understanding, because all, when you understand your cash on hand, you're able to then build out a new model. You're able to then build out a business model or a budget for 12 weeks to really sit, think through what decisions can you make with the cash mm -hmm. flow at hand. Right. Um, and you know, and you obviously have to go through the mindset of what's what is like the best case and worst case scenario. Unfortunately. Yeah. So you have to kind of you have to sit there and say if we're cruising and delivery's crushing, or if we're totally dormant, what does hibernation look like? What does yeah. just break even look like? And make decisions off that. Yeah. Um, I think there's initial like inclination to rehire a lot of people immediately. And I think that people have kind of shifted that attention to saying you should rehire based off the model in which you're going to be performing. Right. And then the second one, and I think they're not necessarily second in order of importance, but equally important is safety. Um, safety and, for your staff and for your customers. Absolutely. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And standard operating procedures and SOPs coming yep. in as we always yep, talk yep. about. Yeah, are they're just so they're so important because clear communication is number one only both to like your your own team and mm -hmm. to your customers and people are choosing to provide their SOPs out with their reservations like holy moly if you like if you're telling your consumer that you're going to be sanitizing your hands as much and you're going to be washing you know doing all yeah. these procedures I mean that sense of transparency and trust is so innate and so important right now to to get customers to come to you because everyone's trying to figure out how to make them trust you. And yep. the only thing you can do is arm them with the information of things you're choosing to do for, for them. Yeah. I, I read a quote yesterday. I don't remember where it was, but a guy said, you know, it's not going to be like, Hey, should we go out for Chinese Mexican or, or sushi tonight? It's going to be like, where's a safe place for us to go to eat. So yeah, I mean, I guess I'll take it back. So the PPE money, um, on the hospitality squares, the gentleman, I forget his name, referenced that, look, I'm going to be opening eight weeks, hopefully at 25%. Why would I risk my staff? If I'm not going to make any money, are, are you seeing a lot of your clients not take the PPE money or what exactly are you seeing with these guys? That's a great question. I think there's kind of three avenues to go. One is, you know, I think at first off, we kind of go back to the question of what cash on hand you have. Mm -hmm. Because if you have cash on hand and you see this as a loan and debt, and you don't need it, 
and you're able to then either hibernate or to open up with delivery, you have to kind of make that judgment call based off your budget and off your, your business model. Mm-hmm. But some people that we're really recommending is like in the second, the second, you know, track would be you have cash on hand, you receive the PL money. People's immediately were to rehire in full just to be able to be given full forgiveness. But the reality is that we're, we're recommending people to look at it as like a cash loan understanding that the, sh- the runway of two years is very short, but that the inclination to have to rehire your entire staff back doesn't nec- isn't necessarily best, A, for your business decision and, and also for them. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about unemployment benefits right now with, um, you know, they actually can be more beneficial to your, to your team to, in order to stay either partially on unemployment benefits if you don't need them, you know, if you're not, I shouldn't say you don't need them, that's not the right term. But if you're, if, if, your model doesn't support being able to hire them in full. Right. Um, you know, and I think that's something you really have to make a business decision on. And sometimes having them stay on unemployment is better for them, their safety, yeah. your business safety and your business security. And it's a hard decision to make, but I think at the end of the day, it's, you have to kind of go back to your business model and your cash. Yeah, um, because there's so many, like, there's so many things to that. So I'm, I'm just trying to put myself in, in the shoes of the gentleman that we spoke to. So he has a restaurant in Manhattan. He has an exorbitant rent even if he got, you know, some relief for a short term or some sort of rent reduction, he wants to open back up, but his staff is making more money. It's, it's safer for them to stay at home. And a lot of them are saying, okay, so I, I can't bring in all this staff. I can't really uh, do the sales that I want to do. I'm going to push, even if they say I can open up June 1st at 25%, I'm going to push it to August 1st on this, you know, model that I pivoted to and, and see how I do. Do you see anything like that? Do you see any sort of like middle ground, like workarounds there or, or is it just kind of one or the other? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think people are choosing to either partially open or to, or to stay quiet. I mean, look, do you look at Danny Meyer? I mean, he just announced that yeah. he's not opening up any of his brick and mortars um, that are more fine dining. And I think it really, I mean, this, it goes back to, you know, your, the new normal, right? We yeah. all talk about and, yep, yep. and your previous, you know, we've had operators call and say, well, when can we go back to service in house? Like that exceeds X percent because that's what our business model is off. Of. And my, my, my initial reaction is your old business model actually doesn't really, it's pretty much irrelevant yeah. um, right now. And it's not necessarily that it won't be relevant in 18 months, but the reality is things that we do know is that this is going to be cyclical and you have to make decisions that are grounded in data and grounded in understanding your menu mix and what's transferable and where, where those alternative revenue streams are coming in for you and not trying to pigeonhole that experience is something that you know worked previously. Right. I mean, you know, you know the, the, that's the hard pivot, right? I mean, the, these guys, some of these older guys are, you know, they're, they're able to be successful either if, you know, one, three, five, seven units like you, we were referencing before because they've been able to keep things the same from one store to the other, to the other, to the other. How much of this is, you know, not so, not so like cookie cutter, be able to drop in on somebody, but like specific to the operator, right? I mean, that, this place that has been doing business the same way for 25 years, is going to be tough for them to pivot, pivot there two or three locations at the same time. Like, I mean, they just have to stay closed. And what is that going to look like to come out of that? Right. Sorry, you cut out with the question. Sorry that, about I mean, that. They, they're going to about cookie cutter. Yeah, I mean, so th- this is not such a cookie cutter. Um, you know, like even if you have this, you have a tremendous system that is very detailed. You can walk your steps through it. 
But some of these guys, they, they're so successful because they've created a system around each unit, right? It's the same. You walk into one, it's the same. You walk into another, it's the same. But the environments might be different. And like some of these guys, are they making the decision to keep some open and to keep some closed based on different variables or how, what's the deciding factor there? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to look at, and well, one, one thing to talk about, and even no matter even if your business structure and how, you're, how, you're, how you build the, the underbelly of your business is consistent, the reality is that you have to look at a bunch of factors because there's two things I always go back to. One is we need to learn how to feed our hyper-local community, right? Mm -hmm. And the other one is that the customer is going to dictate how we move forward for at least right. the time being. And even if your business model, say you're in, one neighborhood, neighborhood A, B, and C, and A and B, we understand the customers are going to are going to behave in a certain way, and maybe in, in avenue in um, neighborhood C, they're going to behave in a completely different way because their needs are different. Mm -hmm. You have to have three different models. Yeah, right. like when and when it comes to feeding people, I mean, you you have to think about if someone if you need to pivot to a grocery store in C, but A and B can be delivery because C there's no pre grocery store near you, and you yeah. can create a market that has a voice and a point of view. I think that you have to you have to be more agile, and yep. you know I I kind of think of it as like improvisation, right? You have right. to you have to understand where what your point of view is and what your what instrument you play best. Yep. You have to be willing to change the tone, and I and I think that someone but if someone hears it they have to know it's still you yep you know yeah. and i think it's very difficult and and it's it, the whole process is on it's it's on there's so much uncertainty there's so much discomfort but i yep. think it's the it's the operator that can can understand where their mission is where their values are and that kind of comes back to branding right i mean it really is it's really tethered to that but i i think that we you can't you can imply certain business decisions like a critical path that are like underbelly things. But when it comes to the nuance, yep. an operator has to choose what that nuance is for them. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's just so wild. I mean, to think that, you know, there's a guy here, like you're talking about the market, he's known as beautiful waterfront restaurant in Connecticut and he's basically a grocery store, right? Like he's doing this it's survival mode. And I think that, we're going to see, unfortunately, a lot of these restaurants that we all love and, 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 you know, have grown emotionally attached to not be able to survive this and because they're not willing to pivot and they're not willing to, you know, sell celery and, and gloves and hand sanitizer and eggs out of their restaurant. And it's just, it's just unfortunate. And it's just, just so wild to wrap my head around. I, don't, I still don't even feel like it's real. Yeah. And I think, I mean, to that point, I, you know, you were looking, I mean, if you look worldwide, you're looking at yeah. Noma, who has announced on Friday, they're going to be doing burgers and wine bar yep. to start, you know, as their first service, because they understand they have to feed their neighbors. Yep. And a lot of people who kind of, a lot of restaurants that had, you know, national accolades or were, or, or people were traveling and I'm guilty myself. I love traveling for food. It's like what I spend all my money on. Yeah. And, same. and um, but I can't right now and I'm not you know and there's thousands and hundreds of thousands of millions of people like me out in the world and those those restaurants that were really reliant on travelers to come through to be able to experience their dining they yeah. have to again kind of go back to what does it mean to feed your neighbor yeah um, and for Noma they decided that was burgers and wine um, to make it accessible yeah there's a woman I spoke to uh, she runs uh, 17th Street barbecue in southern Indiana and mm -hmm. she um, one of her restaurants where the key was 
Um, you know, they drive a lot more out there, a lot more, <laughs> a lot more rural, but their restaurant was basically the state built them an exit right off the interstate. And when people weren't driving and they weren't getting there, she was forced to go down like downtown, down the street and see what they can do and, and handle it that way. So was, that, that's a valid point. Um, so, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, because like we were talking about earlier in terms of what it's going to look like in terms of the restaurant and, and communicating to your guests what exactly you've done or what you're doing to keep them safe. What do you think is going to be most important for operators to do or, or, or to display to their guests when they first come back into their restaurant? What, what do they need to see? Like what do they need to actually see and feel? I mean, I think just similarly to how we don't know, there's so many uncertainties of who's coming back in the door. The consumer also doesn't need to know how you're keeping them safe in that dining experience. So I think mm -hmm. the number one, I mean, I think clear and consistent communication is the only thing you can offer in that mm -hmm. sense. And, and I think you, leveraging things like social media and your website and being able to really clearly communicate on those yeah. for the, for the, because, because the end of the day, I mean, technology, holy moly, how it's changed, you know, oh. for us in the last, you know, five to 10 years and yep. to be able to do contactless payment, to be able to pre predetermine your seat, yep. to be able to know how long you have, to be able maybe even order in advance for upon delivery. And then also to know, like, that's kind of the more technological and more of the, the conversion factor of it. But the other mm -hmm. side is, when I, as a consumer, when I'm coming, the same way in which like physical design allows consumers to know how and which to interact with the space, what you need, I, I, we recommend for operators to do is really provide that guidance in advance of diners. So when they come, it's a whole new territory. So when they're coming to eat with you, they know that they need to wear their mask. They need to, they're going to be given a bag to put their mask in when they're dining, a paper bag that's for them to leave with so it's not touching the table. They know there's going to be hand sanitizer. Oh, wild. You know, so like the, to think about. it's so wild to think about and it feels so foreign, but I think that the more you can communicate to the guests because they're also don't know how to, they don't know what this dance is going to look like either. Yeah. And you need to give them the, you need to give them the footsteps in advance. So, so yeah. at least when you're coming to tango, like mm -hmm. it, there's, there's guys on boats and you, people know who's leading and who's following. I think it's, it's very important. That's a good point. I mean, I like the predetermined seating thing and, you know, you're really going to have to kind of go to this, you know, like a sporting event, you know, this guy's going to be sitting here then and then get that whole cleaning crew to come do what they got to do at the table. It's, it's a lot. It's not going to be an easy transition back in either. You know, so many players are so excited to get back open, but they're not completely wrapping their head around some of these details. So I really appreciate you sharing some of that stuff. It's um, definitely. We're actually, and also, we're actually turning also to other industries. Like we're looking at the protocols that, um, athlete the athletic companies are putting out and like it's like for example so cycle and all of these other companies are also putting out the procedures because because they want people when you think about physical space you know you're talking about these you know classes and things of that nature it really i mean the, you can you can glean a lot of information from and also ideas from different industries so we're really turning our attention to to those kind of industries that are really you know events programming yeah. classes, things of that nature to kind of glean some other ideas. Yeah. My, my wife actually worked for SoulCycle and she said they sent out an email the other day. I'm not sure if you saw that it was very detailed and impressive. And, you know, to be honest with you, there may be certain efficiencies that come out of this, right? I mean, the contactless payment I know for us at the Taqueria has been major. I mean, we have to look at what we're paying in fees for some of this stuff, but there's going to be a way around that. And guests are very happy to 
come in and grab the food off the table and head out. I mean, they'd love to sit around and have some tequila, but they get what it's all about. And we can hopefully ease back into that. But I like what you're saying about looking at some of these other models because the soul cycle stuff is, is relevant, I think, because it's, it's a very hospitality focused business, right? I mean, you get in there, everybody's bubbly, hi, hey, grab your shoes. You know, they said they're going to get rid of all those things like the hair bands and the earplugs and the gum, everything that you have to put your hand in. It's all going to be there, but it's going to be separate. It's going to be like in a little bag that you take and you can open it on your own somewhere. You know, people aren't going to have been rummaging around it and everyone's going to have their PPP on and the bikes are going to be further apart. So that's a, that's, that's smart. I didn't even think about that. And even when I looked at it, I didn't even see the correlation. Um, yeah, I think we can glean a lot from it. Um, so in terms of delivery and these apps, I mean, are you encouraging like everybody to get on these platforms or, or you know, there's a lot of conversations that we don't have to get into now about the fees, but where do you think that whole thing is headed? The Uber, Grubhub, DoorDash kind of stuff for restaurants. Oh man, I just yeah. even saw, I mean, just even Uber announcing they're going to be looking to purchase Grubhub. I mean, this is all about consolidation right now. Yeah. But in terms of, I mean, there's kind of two sides. One is how, and I, and I think we kind of go back to clear communication. If you're, if, if I'm an operator and I own one spot, I know delivery is my lifeline and, and curbside pickup is my lifeline. lost you there again i can control my website my social i can inform the consumer how 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 what we're prioritizing on a delivery right. standpoint right because you can push them straight to a white label pickup only model and if they choose to explore and find things on grubhub and on caviars and more legacy applications in the world, you also can create limitations on that and saying like, you know, the consumer now more than ever, there are, are much more likely to premeditate to pre-purchase days in advance. Mm -hmm. So you can be forecasting or costing, but you can make limitations on things like caviar that say only accept orders like catering, like only accept orders 24 hours out in advance. Yeah. But you can, you can dictate these things that can inform the consumer and also allow you to be able to forecast. So I think, I still think that there's some, there are some benefits to, to legacy apps in moderation, because I think they, for me, it's like if I was an operator, I, those allow other consumers to know I'm open yep. and ready for delivery. No yep. matter what limitations I have, they know I'm open. And there's so, there's only so many ways you can, you can tell them right now because mm -hmm. press isn't running it. You know, like no one, that's not what's on the, you can't get a, piece right about any yeah, right. of this right now right, right, it's right. not relevant so that's all you have and i i would look at that as a marketing expense but that's within sure. your model create limitations you know create limitations that that steer the consumer to purchase in a way in which is beneficial for the company and and allow and is hospitable to them yeah that's a good one. it still has to be you still have to create some kind of experience you're even seeing some of these uh, across the country i forget where i saw it but you know landlords or some of these bigger landlords at the malls and stuff are are creating um, you know, pickups, pickup zones for you. So like yeah. maybe whatever, however they're going to get around the zoning, that's a different story. But like, they're saying, this is your, you know, the one, two, three, four pickup spots here, please wait here. And I think that's, I think that's going to be here to stay. I think there's going to be, you know, however long this is, is going to go on, but those conveniences and, and, you know, like I said, restaurants may figure out that they are more efficient in some of these ways and they maybe don't want as many people in their dining room anymore because they're, see a new way out, but um, it's nice to see some of these changes being made. And if you can communicate that to your guests on social media, like, Hey, if you're worried about this, we can pick this up 
here at the curb. We can put it in your trunk. We can, you know, leave it on the table when you walk in. It'll have your name on it. Um, I think communicating that is a major piece and um, will definitely be appreciated by, by guests. Um, definitely. And I, I also think too, I mean, when it kind of comes to delivery and, and curbside pickup and, and how, I mean, the one thing we talk to a lot of operators about is, so, so once your food leaves your brick and mortar, how do you extend the hospitality that is innate to, or we go back to like the point of view, like what is your point of view in delivery? Like how, how are you translating what, you know, Kyle's wing shack provides elsewhere or even using right. the taco, you know, right. like, because I think there's a lot of in innovation that's happening there where a lot of operators are choosing to, to figure out ways in which to extend their brand into the consumers, into the consumer's dining room. Mm -hmm. And I look at like someone like Canlis who is doing bingo nights on Fridays that if you're able to, they put a bingo card in your, in your box, uh -huh. you, you tune in on zoom and they, they're in tuxedos. It's moody lighting, that's awesome. piano playing. It's amazing. And I think that, and obviously that comes with the luxury of knowing that you have the space and time to get creative. And a yep. lot of operators are turning delivery as a lifeline. So yep. I, I understand there's like two sides of the coin, but I do think that I think restaurants can get innovative about, you know, if they're doing markets or if they're doing partially baked, partially made food to finish up in your oven, can, what does that, what does that card look like you're dropping for instructions? Yeah. Like that is an unbelievable time to, to communicate with your guest. Um, and, and I think like, you know, and I know scribe winery kind of turning into a, a little, obviously still in hospitality, but a little adjacent is, mm -hmm. You know, they did Hacienda as their, as their tasting room on their vineyard and Sonoma, and they did an entire playlist for Friday Night Vibes, you know, right, and, right. and I think that you just, you just can extend your, your own being out, outside of your brick and mortar, and I think it's important. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's one of the things, and it was on your website too, some of the things that, that should stick around, I think you mentioned should stick around and you think are going to stick around. Those kind of experiences, like um, a DJ, come from his house, you know, is going to play the music that's in your, you know, you tell him, Hey, I know you used to come here Friday nights, but can you do a little set from like seven to eight 30 on Friday night? We're going to have our customers uh, tune into Instagram and you can kind of like mimic the vibe of, you know, when you order the food, that kind of thing. But I really think what's really cool are the, like the, you know, the Pomodoro or whatever, right? Your favorite Italian restaurant. And the chef like shows you on Wednesday, like, Hey, this is what I'm going to be making this is a grocery list of what you're going to need um, Friday, eight o'clock on Instagram live. We're going to make our famous penne Pomodoro. Come check it out. I think that's something that should be around forever. I think that's a, was a genius move by whoever started doing that to really like show these people, here's how we make it. You love it. And you know what? People are going to make it at home. They're going to love it, but you know what? It's going to make them want to come to you more. That's what I really think. Yeah. yeah I was, diverse. yeah. I totally agree. And I always love, I mean, it's always the mystique of food, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. People will understand, do we all eat and dine and we all, we all understand the new, like we, it's one of the first only industries where the, the consumer really understands because they do it so often, the logistics of dining. Yep. But when it comes to those kind of mystique points where you're talking about, you know, pro providing a little bit of like the back curtain coming up, I think that it does as an investment into, into your brand and then into your, into your company that previously would never be shown. And I think it, it can be really a great avenue and communicate and like way to talk to your, to your customer base. Yeah. I, I think, you know, 
in, in, in the communication process, it's in this whole thing, it's another piece that restaurants, you know, notoriously, a lot of these guys are tight lipped and, you know, um, probably something that this is your, something that you guys at Oyster Sunday are helping them with, but communicating with your team at this time, how are you seeing, what are some of the best practices for the restaurants that are closed right now? How should they be communicating with their team? Um, often and clearly, <laughs> I think come to mind. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, sure. you know, and I think this is a, when it, we talk a lot, I mean, we, we think work with operators to think through their internal communication and how things are structured and how they're talking and how, how, how equitably to talk to their teams. I mean, that can be everything from not everyone has email. Yeah. Not, and this actually came, this actually came to real light when it came to people being laid off or furloughed, they had to have a notice of that. And mm -hmm. if they didn't have their email, and potentially it wasn't being translated to like say Spanish. They're really the only way really to communicate that was to yeah. to staple it to their final paycheck. Yeah. And and I just think that things like that highlight that there's there needs to be more internal communication and operations around that that allow clear communication. And we're lucky again, I go back to technology and I'm not, I don't think tech solves everything. I just want to clarify. I'm, I'm, yeah, very, right. I'm a very analog person, <laughs> but yeah, I do yeah. think it can, it can, it can create efficiencies in the sense that if you had an application or if you had an email correspondence with your team and that was built into your already previously built into your community, then being able to com communicate with them on a more routine basis is a lot easier than doing what offs. Yeah. And, and I think that that, where it's really important and and I think that they they're also trying to make decisions in this midst of uncertainty about will they have a job yeah can they get can they arrive safely what are their rights if they can't you know yeah. and we talk a lot about unemployment insurance and that balance of that against you know even labor in general and yeah. I think it's a, it's a huge huge issue to be able to clearly communicate both from employment through safety you know, I think it's, it's important. Yeah. And I, I, we've had, you know, just speaking personally again, um, we're a small spot, but we had two of our employees say, you know what, I, I live with my grandmother. I can't risk going back to work. You know, it's, it's tough for me. I want to be there. I want to work, but I can't risk potentially being, you know, asymptomatic or catching something there and bring, unknowingly bringing it home to my grandmother. So there's just so many different things to, to, to weigh here. And, um, I know you're busy. I want to let you go. How, how can somebody, you know, the independent restaurant owner who maybe not your client, how can they best tackle these free tools that you have um, available on your website? What, where, where should they start? That's a great question. Um, I, I mean, we, again, we were huge believers that knowledge is power um, mm -hmm. and it helps us to like at least navigate this moment of uncertainty the best we can. Um, um, so they are, they are all up on our website, free and public. There are several yep. that we highlight that are free tools. For example, mm -hmm. rebuilding a business model. We have a toolkit we built with one of our, um, one of our advisors built that we, um, that we feature on our website with Vaughn yep. Tan. And that's a great way of like looking at your previous, your current and your new yep. business model. Um, we have critical path and really those are, you're able to download them. You're able to edit them to, to your needs, um, yeah. And most importantly, we're, we're still since March 16th are accepting free consultations. So get in touch. Um, hello at oystersunday.com mm -hmm. and no question is too small or too big. We'll, we'll do our best to find the answer. I, I, I gotta just tell everybody who's listening, just from looking at it from a restaurant owner's perspective, just get in here and start messing around with it. Like you're gonna, you'll see she has um, 
very clear, um, you know, categories broken down into, you know, your operating profits, your labor, your revenue streams, start looking in there and seeing how this can apply to you. It is a tremendous, tremendous resource. And I can't really thank you enough for what you're doing. Um, I will do everything I can to get word out about what you guys do. It's, it's, you know, I, I personally, I've said a long time ago, like why, you know, people say, why as a commercial real estate broker who works in restaurants, are you putting so much effort into this stuff? Because I really hate to see restaurants close because they don't have enough information. So this kind of eliminates that and goes, was right in line with the way that I think. So um, I'm very grateful I took time here. Obviously super grateful for what you're presenting here for the restaurants. And um, Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Kyle. I really appreciate your time as well. This is an unbelievable resource for so many people out there. So thank you. All right, well, stay safe and I hope to talk to you again soon. Sounds great. All right, have a great day. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the latest episode of the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. I want to take a second here and just remind you that, like I said earlier, my goal is to help reduce the failure rate of restaurants in this country. So what I did is I went on my Instagram and I created a link to my calendar. And if you head there and you click the link in my bio and you scroll down, you'll see that there's a drop down menu there and it says 15 minute phone consultation. So if you're a restaurant owner operator and you just have a quick question, you don't know where to turn, whether it's about operations, whether it's about a startup, how to find money or what to do with this particular server, whatever the case may be, I am there for you. It's a free 15 minute phone consultation and I'm here to help. So if you need it, you know how to find me and continue to listen and support the podcast. I would love if you would uh, share, comment, review, whatever, all that fun stuff. Uh, And I just appreciate the love and support I've been getting for this. So we're going to keep cranking them out. And if you're interested in being on the show, please hit me up. Best way to get a hold of me is on Instagram, or you can always text me at 631-965-1300. Thanks so much again, guys.